and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. We are live. No, we're not. It's pre-recorded. Hi, it's ESSR Feature Show. It's me, the coach David Campbell. Happy to see you, to see you happy, um, to paraphrase Forsyth. I don't know what's happening today. I hope someone else does. What I do know is happening is that every Tuesday, you can check out ESSR Central. It's our weekly news show on this network. We will go on the news of the day. We talk about everything that's happening with wrestling. Check out this show, ESSR Feature, on our Thursday. All the great content we've got in here. Saturday Draft Live, Eats Meets West, everything. Go over to the YouTube channel. We've got hundreds going on on our YouTube channel. Too much to name. I'm rambling at this point. I'm just going to introduce my panel. First off, he is a man who's as obsessed with Batman. Um, as Adam West was back in the day. It's Mr. Stephen Wilson. How's it going? Not bad, not bad. David, I could tell you've had a rough day because you got the days of the shows releasing mixed up there. Yeah, Central oh on a Thursday and Teacher on a Tuesday. <laughs> oh my God! I know that as well because they record on a Wednesday. So how would it be possible? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Stephen, it's been a rough 24 hours. I do want to reiterate though, I did beat Captain Man. Uh, so it was worth staying up till like half two, three in the morning. I'll, I'll be on your side, David. You beat him quite convincingly. I don't care about Cooper Barnes. I've never heard of him. I know he was on a TV show. <laughs> Someone else who's on a TV show, um, or should be, because he has the looks of any action star on the planet. It's Gary Kernan. Now, how's it going? Oh, thank you, David. You know, I've been on the telly before. I've twice been on the sofa of STV Glasgow's Riverside show. There we go. And it doesn't get, that's the pinnacle, you know? I was once, uh, I once hosted uh, a, a volunteering DVD and I was told at the end of it, I was walking through this fair talking away, I was told at the end of it by the guy that was producing it that I could be a TV host. I told that story for about 15 years yeah. I, and always admitted to mention that that guy was a student uh, Manchester <laughs> University. Nice. People believed that it was somebody high up in the BBC had said that to me. Well, someone else who was wandering through a fair, talking away, was this man, but only when he gets kicked out of it uh, for a drunken disorderly. It's Mr. Ross McLeod. How are you? I, I'm, I'm very well, yes. I sound drunk and disorderly there. I'm, 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 I'm. I've not had anything. Staggering through the fair and tripping over my own words. Hey, I'm very well. How are you? I'm all right, Ross. You know, it's one of those days today. You know, one of those days you're just absolute knacker, absolute cream cracker. That's me today. But I've got three of the best people in ESSR on standby, just in case this show goes off the rails. So we're going to see what happens here. We are going to start with Mr. Stephen Wilson. Our topic today is the Raw After Mania, looking at the history of Raw after WrestleMania. And Stephen, I'm going to ask you, just a question on the progression of this show. Has the Raw after Mania got bigger over the years? Has it been a straight curve? Has it been a straight line? Has there been dips, ebbs and flows? What is the story in your opinion of the Raw after Mania? David, I described the Raw after WrestleMania like the rise of coronavirus. It starts off well, maybe it ebbs down a wee bit, then it comes up with a vengeance. <laughs> and in the last couple of years it's felt, eh. But it's always going to be there, but you know, Will it be as will it be as high as it ever will be? If it's like COVID, I fucking hope not. But that is where my <laughs> that's where my comparison lies. Mid nineties, mid to late nineties, it picked up, and then towards the end of the the, the noughties, that's where it really hit its boom. I think 
Yeah, totally, totally. And Gary, um, obviously you've been watching as a, a fan for a very long time, famously a fan of the new generation era. So we never really had Raw after Manias in the beginning because we didn't have Monday Night Raw. But like, when was it you first became aware of the Raw after Mania becoming like a thing, a thing well, that was needed? It's a really good question because when I was growing up, I remember fondly after WrestleMania 12, the debut of the wild man Mark Marrow. That was your highlight then. So anybody that moans about the current product, you don't know how good you've got it. <laughs> um, I, I think this became a thing. I would say more recently. Um, there were obviously moments over the years, but I think it became, for me, this became a thing round about maybe 31, 32. Um, I think uh, the peak was for me at least was Mania 33 um, time and, I'm sh- and I think in the subsequent years it's tapered off a, a somewhat and you know maybe for understandable reasons more recently but um, yeah may- maybe when did Brock come back 29 um, so maybe around about those you know, 28 thank you then um, but yeah that's I say for me that's when it started to become more of a thing in my mind at least Nice, and Ross, we're going to talk about you know, the moments the, the stories of the Raw after Mania but there is one thing that's always been a constant at that event and that's the fans for the Raw after Mania, they really make that show don't they? They do, but I think uh, in recent years they've become a bit unbearable uh, the, we are awesome, they are not um, like, like uh, I, th- I think just going back to what you said to Gary and Stephen about when did it become a thing I think it really peaked and we'll, we'll talk about the moment itself uh, that made that show but the, the Raw after Mania WrestleMania 29 I often find um, when there's a particularly poor WrestleMania or a WrestleMania that didn't quite hit the heights the Raw after Mania always seems to be a, a sort of apology as if <laughs> like you know, you've got you've got all these you know debuts and returns, and these are the new champions, and everything's shiny and new, and like we're starting a new season. Like yeah. it, it, it's almost like a season premiere, um, and to me, it, it has ebbed and flow. Obviously, understandably, as Gary said, coronavirus recently last year, this Raw after Mania wasn't really a, a thing. I'm hoping this year is a return to form. But yeah, the fans are usually quite good, but sometimes, depending on where it is, you get a bad batch that are really just up their own backside. Yeah, totally, totally. And we're, we're going to really focus on the moments this show. Each of us have picked out two moments from the history of the Raw After Mania that we want to discuss. And to kick us off, I'm going to go to Mr. Ross McLeod with your first moment for us here. Yeah, I'm going to pick a. What well, you talked about, poor WrestleMania. It's WrestleMania 27. It was almost an apology the Raw after Mania when we got to see <laughs> the debut of our Lord and Saviour, Sin Cara. But we also got to see the the match made the match made official one year out. WrestleMania 28, John Cena versus The Rock. The the crowd was hot for it. The crowd 
wanted, they, they, they knew something was going to happen given the, the events that transpired in the main event the night before. They, you know, we were just dying to know that The Rock was coming back because I think, although he said he was never leaving again, I think the, the most die-hard Rock fan among us, you know, maybe me, um, would admit <laughs> that they didn't see The Rock, you know, doing a 360-day touring schedule. But to know that he was going to be in a match a year out Mm. meant he had to come back. He had committed to it. You know, I mean, it was a multi-film deal and he was coming back for the sequel next year. And this, to me, just feels like it's possibly the biggest match in WrestleMania history. It's certainly the most advertised match in WrestleMania history. And this is where it was beneficial. And this, to me, is when, in recent years, the Raw after Mania started to feel really, really special. Nice. I like that. Stephen, I'm going to come to you on this one first because, like Ross said, <laughs> this was almost an apology, but also kind of necessary because a lot of the criticism directed at WrestleMania 27 has been it was an advertisement for WrestleMania 28. Uh, yeah. So, do you feel this was just like the final nail on that poster that was already half put up for the next year? Uh, it was the, also the final nail in Mizzy's title run, clearly, because it's like, well, we're going to advertise this big match for a year later, but Mizzy's still the champ, you know. And then Cena wins the title in three weeks anyway, so... <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a shame Miz didn't get a, a more forgettable run, you know, nearly ten years ten years later. Uh, but uh, I remember it. It was like... I, I remember the, the Rock... The Rock's return night felt amazing, because obviously he hadn't been there for so long. Uh, it was like, we didn't think we were ever going to see him again, but then for like the weeks leading into WrestleMania, I'm going to say this, given they know Zavon Austin over Rockman, uh, I just didn't feel it, you know? So this was kind of felt a bit fresh, you know? And it was kind of like, WWE had never really given you a year's notice for a match, so it built you a lot of intrigue immediately. Because we always speculate, like, what's going to happen in the next year? What's going to happen in WrestleMania? But this is the one thing we use, so we just followed John Cena's run throughout that one. It kind of made uh, a lot of great interest in John Cena's year. Yeah, totally. And Gary, that's a, a interesting point Stephen makes, especially when we look at it from our current point of view. We're going into a WrestleMania where a lot of matches on the card have been built three, two, maybe one week in advance from what we're going to see in this coming week here, you know what I mean? At least this guarantees us a long story build towards the next WrestleMania. Yeah, re you really did see that in the modern era. era. And even going back... Um, there were the olden days to the classy era and there were hints of matches uh, and stories months and months out you know things like um you know savage hogan for example that built for a period of time isn't it but most of the feuds really is like what survival series royal rumble time run through to mania so this was really unique you may have had a hint or an idea that this was the direction of travel but never had it been announced so far out and wwe in recent times was not renowned for long-term booking yeah. and to stick to something for any period of time so one was interested and skeptical about how they could do it and how could they the rock what role would he play in keeping this story fresh because he yeah. wasn't going to be there every week he wasn't going to be competing i think we see them at the ring of memory serves me right in survivor series uh, the tag match at survivor series that year yeah. Yeah. and and it was odd them you know needing um cena needing honors to take out the miz and our truth 
Oh yeah, little Jimmy was there. That's not right about that. You know, he's going to be the next 24-7 title. I take it all back. Exactly. You've got to think the greatest tag team in WWE history would be God and little Jimmy. You know, I I genuinely believe that. Uh, But I I do actually think this is something I'd like to see done again. Stephen, if there was going to be a match that was booked a year in advance after this coming WrestleMania, can you think of one that you would like to hear about? A bit of a panic there, David. I thought you were... If I wanted to see The Rock and Cena again, come on, they did it a year later, I don't want to see it again. <laughs> but ice in a lifetime, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> if they did a match again, in a year's time, it's kind of hard to kind of pinpoint one. I'm maybe Bianca, Bianca, Sasha, maybe, if I had to pick oh, one. Bianca, Sasha, a year, and that would be nice. Uh, I'm thinking Roman Rock. Like, if they came up a year, if they came out after WrestleMania, Roman retains the belt, and you just hear the Great Ones music hit, and he's like, you know what? Next year at Mania, babe, if that's something The Rock would say. <laughs> me and you, you. If you can hold on to that title, me and you for the title, I think I think that'd be a pretty good one. But there's other great moments we need to get to today. And Gary, we're going to come to you for your first one here. Uh, thank you. I've been looking forward to this show. I think it's a great topic. And everybody's got something different that they'll pick yeah. on through, through the years. And actually, the, the four of us picked eight different ones without any crossover on it so mine's this Wrestlemania um, has a special place in my heart because I was there for it Um, uh, it's April 3rd 2017 uh, the Amway Centre in Orlando Florida the night after Wrestlemania 33 and this was a a Raw which was packed full of some moments and the ground had its ups and its downs over the years they were mis- they misbehaved at times we had Beach Ball Mania during the Neville and Ali match and um, Ross was touching on the, the crowd going into business for himself they certainly did at points here but it was a hot it was a hot crowd yeah. you had like those um you know the hardcore fans from all over the place that stuck around for for this event, so it was electric. We had on this show. You had the Hardy Boys defending their newly won tag team championships. You had the appearance from Vince McMahon uh, as he introduced the new Raw General Manager, a Hall of Famer. And at that point, Teddy Long's music hit, and he came <laughs> out for a wee dance to be told, "No, not you." And then Kurt Angle <laughs> returns. We had the the debut of the Revival. Uh, this night who a great commentary call from Corey on that I thought I don't think the revival got another moment on the main roster like that one Uh, that was exceptional that night we had the return of Finn Balor and his abs as well there was also there was a great moment after Raw finished uh, which they broadcast the WWE Network on Raw Talk Uh, it was Goldberg's speech they, yeah. did, they were afraid to put it on the telly in case he got booed out of the building but he was actually really warmly received, I think people appreciated that they had a good match the night before and he hit the what tone did they know what did they know now? <laughs> so, I know, but the moment I wanted to talk about this in this show was the opening segment from start to finish was just over 13 minutes, so there was a video package that aired that gave the highlights of the night before and it looked like at that time we were saying goodbye to The Undertaker 
and Raw opened with the fans just shouting Undertaker uh, over and over again uh, for quite a while, went on for a couple of, well, I think about two minutes, um, just the fans chanting and then Roman Reigns music hit and he got booed out of the fucking building. Um, he got to the ring, um, there was lots of booze, there was fuck you Roman chants, you suck asshole chants. <laughs> uh, he stood in the ring for between five and six minutes. Every time he picked the microphone up to speak, he got an even louder booze, but he was so patient. And then right at the end, just cut it, the, the line that he came out to say, it's my yard now and he was off. I just thought it was brilliant. A hot crowd that were pissed off. Um, they wanted to boo Roman, they certainly did. And I thought that night that would have been a great catalyst for him to go off in his heel run, which he's now yeah. currently on. I just thought it was a brilliant moment and WWE nailed it. They knew what the audience were going to be like and they just embraced it. And his it's my yard now just made the fans even more angry. I just thought it was brilliant. I loved it. I love of it. It's so weird as well because Ross, it comes from it's been acknowledged in the documentary as well. Like Taker and Roman didn't have the best match at Mania, but the emotion around that match was something else. Taker people genuinely thought Roman had retired Taker. That probably fueled the fans' fury that night. Uh, at the at the mate at the raw taping, but do you agree with Gary's assessment that this would have been the best jumping off point for a Roman Reigns heel turn here? Oh, absolutely! Um, like the year before, people were talking about a double turn with him and Triple H. They didn't end up doing that, and then there was like, right, well, surely if he beats the Undertaker, he's got to be a heel now. And ironically, Roman that year had arguably matched the night on every pay-per-view of 2017 bar Wrestlemania like that was that was like the one you know smudge on his record and had The Undertaker came back which, which he did sorry it, there, there really should have been a follow-up to this I think and I think it should have been instead of just you know old gunslinger going up against the new the new sheriff in town it should have been old school face versus heel that it should have been just that and the moment I'm set the, the smugness of Roman in that segment he is a heel in that segment because he's so smug he sits he, he knows he's like I'm getting paid boo me all you want <laughs> I do not care and then just the cockiness because he waits until the crowd tire themselves out and then just goes this is my yard now and then the crowd find a second wind to yeah. be like fuck you because yeah. that, that was when that was the Undertaker's retirement that was the Undertaker's line he then took and just to it was oh it was so good it was such a good moment and to anyone who ever thinks Roman Reigns is pushed because of his family or because he's the Rock's cousin no, I'm sorry, Roman Reigns, on his own, is one of the most charismatic people WWE have produced. He's one of the most charismatic people in wrestling overall. He is yeah. currently the best heel in wrestling, no competition. 
and here he showed just what WWE should have been doing with him because oh my god it was just it was so good and Stephen I think Gary and Ross have put this beautifully but I can't remember an occasion we've talked about the importance of the crowd at these events where a heel has got this much heat this was nuclear wasn't it oh it's amazing heat you just don't get heat like that these days you know it's I we're in the era of wrestling where it's full of cool heels you know you just just you need an old school bad guy that everybody just wants to hate and Roman was perfect for that at that particular point he's perfect for it now I mean ironically that there's a rumours going about the WWE turned edge heel for Wrestlemania because they have a feeling that Roman might get cheered at Wrestlemania <laughs> so you can't, you can't win them all but at this particular I'll be, I'll point be <laughs> oh he's great that's, what, that's, the, that's the problem with the current era but no he was he, 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 he plays it perfectly I mean we mentioned earlier on about the Raw after Mania. It's kind of done well when the night before the rubbish. Well, the match with him and Taker was absolutely horrendous, you know. Uh, potentially a great moment at the end if Taker actually had retired. But to kind of start with this one, you know, it was wise move. If WWE maybe does things that they've maybe done sometimes in the past, maybe have them come out a wee bit later on, you'd be kind of like, they'll just have them be normal. But no, they were like, no, nope, we're going to address this right away. It's going to come out and. He was just yeah. He probably played it off the cuff. He probably just came out there and didn't know what he was going. He didn't plan anything. Just wanted to judge the crowd reaction. And as Gary said, I mean, fifteen minutes to open Raw. I mean, if you told me that Raw was going to open with a fifteen-minute promo segment, you'd be like, ah, oh, no. But no, played it to a T. How they should do it, and it could have been much more. You know, if they decide to pull the trigger on him then, and obviously Undertaker eventually comes back, and the two of them become pals and in a space of two, uh, 18 months or so so yeah. it's it's not even a, it wasn't even a 15 minute promo segment Stephen he said what four words mm-hmm. and if somebody had said that to you without watching it and understanding the emotion you would have you thought they were off their that. head yeah. Yeah. it's actually yeah. The beauty of Again. it, you know, it's simple as better. You don't need to overthink a segment. Yeah, no. absolutely. It reminds me, do you remember the Elias Kevin Owens segment from a couple of years ago where the crowds literally booed them for about 10 minutes straight after they slagged some sports team? I don't know American sports, you know, but it was something to do with sports and the crowd were not happy. That's the only thing that I can think of that compares to this in any way, you know. But we will be moving on. We've had two moments that felt like apologies for the Mania the night before you know I think the Roman one helps elevate that Undertaker match Ross has pointed out it was part of this long running advertisement for Wrestlemania 28 the sacrifice of Wrestlemania 27 Stephen what is your first moment that you're putting to us today I am going to go with a moment that took place the night after Wrestlemania 29 now Ross had to Ross's moment followed a really bad Wrestlemania 27 Wrestlemania 29 not too much better. You know, we had uh, we had the Undertaker CM Punk there, which was a fantastic match. There was a lot of filler that took place on that particular evening as well. We had Rock versus Cena 2, which should never have happened. It was like Rock versus Cena 1 with a belt. Uh, <laughs> but there was also a, a match that took place for the World Heavyweight title between uh, Alberto Del Rio, who came in as champion, and Chris Jericho's best pal, Jack Swagger at the time, now Jake Hager. <laughs> uh, 
Swagger had this whole kind of we the people American patriot gimmick, you know. Del Rio was Mexican because you know that's logical WWE that the fact that the guy who hates immigrants, you know, hates the Mexican guy. But uh, Jack Swagger obviously got, as you may remember, got himself in trouble, get caught with some illegal substance. I don't know if it was on the you get caught with drugs anyway. Drugs, <laughs> uh, drugs are from mugs. So his push got his push got completely squashed. He had, a, he had a WrestleMania entrance that they didn't show at WrestleMania. <laughs> so that's how, what a bad thing. You go to WrestleMania to have the moment, and they don't even show the moment of his big entrance. But <laughs> the big thing that night is everybody want everybody wanted to see one man involved in that match, and it was the man holding the money in the bank briefcase. It was Dolph Ziggler. He'd been holding money in the bank for 266 days at that point at WrestleMania. He was in a tag team title match with uh, Team Hell No earlier in the night with him and Big E. Big E's first main roster match, you know? So, completely filler. The match at WrestleMania, everybody thought he was going to cash in, didn't cash in. We then get to the next night on Raw where the Rio's defending it against Swagger again. I believe it was a handicap match if I was right in saying. I think Zeb Coulter was in that particular match, but they kind of target uh, Del Rio's knee extensively, so even though Del Rio wins the match, he's hurt badly, but even then, he's in the middle of the ring, and it goes to a break, and you think, where the hell's Dolph's going to cash in? But we come back from the break, Del Rio's still there! He's in pain! <laughs> and then Dolph's music hits, and we talk about pops, oh my god, that crowd goes absolutely mental. <laughs> it's so, so good, and it's they play the cash in probably one of the more perfect cash ins you'll see because obviously he targets the injured guy, does all the moves, but then Del Rio does a mini comeback and there's a potential, you know, that Dolph's gonna lose his chance, but he manages to get the one over on Del Rio, gets the zigzag, pins him, and that pops even better. It's absolutely crazy. AJ is oh. in tears, Biggie's Biggie's gone mental, you know. He doesn't even have any charisma at this point, Biggie. He's just a bodyguard. <laughs> he can't even show his, his full range, but That's this amazing. is a case of WWE being patient, waiting for the right moment to use the money in the bag. Something that they've not done very well in the last couple of years. And it should have been the moment that propelled Dolph Ziggler to become a multiple time world champion. Yeah. For Instead sure. of being the guy that takes amazing looking spears from Goldberg. But Absolutely. That moment itself is just going to summarize Dolph Ziggler's career. So good. Absolutely, for sure. And Gary, not only, Stephen alludes to this, not only one of the best Raw After Mania moments of all time, perhaps, at least in the top two or three, one of the best Money in the Bank cash-ins of all time was this Dolph Ziggler on Alberto Del Rio. Oh, it certainly has to be in, it has to be in the conversation for it. And it... Uh, was one of the I think one of the better ones because of the the emotion, uh, the the location, the story. The fans wanted it and they made us wait for it. And then we thought when it went to the commercial break, you weren't going to get it. And then you got it. But then you had the near falls in the match, and unlike other um, money in the bank cash ins, you know this one they wrestled for a couple of minutes. I mean, it wasn't a wasn't a long match by any means, but you know most of them are like you know seconds, aren't they? And the Rio got a wee bit of offense that made you think, oh, actually, this is 
you know, he's going to blow it here. And um, I thought that was that was great. The reaction of the others, as, uh, as Stephen touched on, helped enormously um, in it as well. But, you know, I have to say, you know, I'm not sure when the next time we'll talk about Jack Swagger is. But um, not that he had particularly great WrestleMania moments, but Jack Swagger's face turn. Remember when um, um, he was called, Rusev was calling out yeah. people to defend America, and then he appeared and he got a huge pop. I just thought that was brilliant, but then he got beat out and jobbed out by Rusev. <laughs> You're just taking this opportunity to slot that in because there's no I, way that comes up in any other ESS. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, charismatic stable to know, but he's the least charismatic guy in it. By like a hell of a distance. <laughs> I've not been looking. This isn't like a Vistara reference where I look, <laughs> I look for reasons to mention them. You know, it just came up and I had to say it. But the other thing I just wanted to say on this one, there was a couple of near falls in part of the Rio. There was um, was it the insecurity hit? But then he got a well, what the move that he did was it scissor lock, scissors lock from the Thank you. And you thought at that time he was going to get out of it, and he manages to get out of it by hitting the, or he the tap it, sorry, managed to get out of it by hitting the, punching into his knee, and which made sense the storylines when he dropped out. So there was a couple of foot soft finishes in it, but yeah, it was a, it was probably, it is up there with the, the best of the cash ins and a great way to, to use that to propel some of the title. Just unfortunately, it didn't last for very long. Yeah, and you talk about it propelling some of the title, but Ross, we've talked about the Raw After Mania being a soft reboot in a sense, and it, we've sort of touched on the fact that Alberto Di Rio versus Jack Swagger is probably one of the weaker world title matches to ever take place at WrestleMania. I'm I mean, sorry. Dave, you're being you're being nice. It's the weakest by the country <laughs> title. <laughs> And that's the thing, Alberto <laughs> was not working as a face, partially because we no, know he's a massive knob in real life. Um, so, <laughs> of course he wasn't going to work as a good guy. And you've got Dolph Ziggler. Get off that fence, David Campbell, tell us what you really think. <laughs> well, but, 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 but David, the night he wins the title from the big show, the crowd goes mental. I cannot believe he got a pop. Yes, <laughs> that's that's if you look back at it, because he has a dick. It's because he was beating yeah. the Big Show. Jimmy Savile could beat the Big Show and get a pop. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> honest fuck. Like, I'm not, I'm, not being, I'm not being funny. But, and Ross, the thing is, Dolph's over his rover. Like, that's the double turn that we, we needed at this point, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I did like how it was a wee mini-match because Dolph Ziggler's gimmick at the time was, you know, yeah, he was really good in ring, but he... You look at his feuds against like the likes of Randy Orton and his first sort of run of matches against Edge and CM Punk. He never ever beat those guys. He was always put uh, to put people over. He wins the Money in the Bank briefcase. He's winning any me- by any means possible. You know he used AJ to help him beat Cena. He's used Biggie to help him beat people and all that and. When the cross arm breaker gets put in, you know, Del Rio was a very overpowered babyface at this time, you know. WWE is desperate to get someone into that Latin American market to replace Rey Mysterio, so much so that 10 years later they've employed Bad Bunny to play that role. Um, but Very effectively, might I say. <laughs> very effectively, yes, very, very effectively. But, um, 
yeah, when he hits that cross arm breaker, you're like, oh, Jesus, like he's made everyone tap out with this. He's not getting out here, he's not getting out. And then they play into the story of the injury. So it keeps Del Rio strong, but still gives the fans the moment they want. And that zigzag. Cole screams at the top of his lungs, zigzag. And you still struggle to hear him over the pop from the crowd. Not for the three, just for the zigzag when they're like, that is it. And then when the three hits, I get emotional when I watch it because I love Dolph Ziggler. I'm sorry, Dolph Ziggler. Kenny Omega is just Dolph Ziggler if he went to Japan. That's that's all Kenny Omega is. All right, come at me, internet. Please, um, please go Dolph, out. <laughs> Dolph Ziggler is sensational. Dolph Ziggler could wrestle rings round anyone on the current AEW and WWE roster. Maybe not Chad Gable. Um, but he is just so good and it is just it's such an amazing Wrestlemania moment but it's also heartbreaking to look back on because of what Dolph has become since totally totally 100% agree with you Um, I don't think there's really anything else to be said about the Ziggler moment I think Stephen you've wrapped it up really well there the only thing is that concussion we only lived in a world where that concussion hadn't happened you know no. Well, they swagger. That's another thing they swagger the drag. Fucking yeah. idiot. And yeah. He made the inner circle look like woman dull guys. You know, why is he an inner circle? Stephen, I don't know oh. if anyone's mentioned this, but please do not forget his face turn against Rusev. All right. <laughs> uh, an iconic <laughs> moment in wrestling history. Hey, hey, hey. It was really. I was at a WWE house show in Glasgow, Scotland, and Rusev came out disparaging the great nation of Scotland, when who would become Scotland's great protector? The brave heart himself, Jack Swagger. <laughs> we are the people. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good, very good indeed. I, I, need to, I need to transition. It's time, it's time for my moment, it's time for 2014, it's the night after WrestleMania 30. Uh, you might remember that WrestleMania for such memorable moments is Daniel Bryan, you know, winning the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, winning two matches in the one night. You might remember The Undertaker's undefeated streak ending at the hands of Brock Lesnar. Or you might remember the true greatest match in that card, the Divas Invitational, where AJ Lee <laughs> retained the Divas Championship to, to continue her run as the longest reigning Divas Champion of that time. I'm saying this very tongue-in-cheek. Um, she was part of a, a really great, you can look at Shawn Michaels and Diesel as a great small man, little man combination, but really they pale in comparison to AJ Lee and the great Tamina. All right, they, there was two running rough shot in the women's division for a long, long time, and it was wonderful. And they're coming out, and AJ's gloating, and she's saying her usual thick. She's the, the pipe bomb princess. She's doing all her stuff. And she's like, you know, there's no one who can beat me. I've, I've done it all. I've beaten them all. And then you hear it. You hear that primal scream as Paige's music hits. And you look. And Paige comes down the ramp. And it's sort of uncertain because this is at a time where NXT is really just finding their feet. And this is one of the true first NXT 
call-ups after Mania. So in that sense, this moment sets a precedent. And I, this moment isn't significant for the promo. I actually think that Paige is quite weak in the promo. She seems fairly uncertain. Paige Paige <laughs> This is my house! But she seems very uncertain going up against AJ Lee. But what happens next is that AJ strikes her down and she's like, you know, I'll give you a match right now and as a post-WrestleMania treat, I'll put my title on the line. And at that point, the crowd are into it. At that point, the crowd can can smell what's happening. They can smell change in the air. And they have a match that's typical of the the Divas era at this time as it was. It's fairly short, not, not given much time to work with. But then Paige hits the page turner. And it's one, two, three. And Paige becomes the youngest ever Divas champion in company history. One of the youngest people ever to hold a belt within the WWE system. And at that point, the crowd goes wild. And this is a journey of Paige coming in, uncertain, the crowd's half sure of who she is. And then she takes down the biggest villain in the women's division at that point in AJ Lee. And it there, Page is made. Their page is over. And I love this moment. It says the president of NXT co-ops. It's a surprise title change that no one's seen coming. And it's a really good launching pad for Page's career. Stephen, I'll come to you. What did you think about this one? David, I think it's unfair that you've picked the one moment that's clearly going to be the best because it's the only one that was made into a movie. <laughs> exactly. Precisely. Um, it's amazing how much influence The Rock had on this match. <laughs> I know, but he wasn't even—he was meant to be fighting Lesnar the next day or something. I don't know, uh, but no, I think you had the names on the head with pretty much everything there, David. It's uh, significant for actually the crowning of the champion more than the whole segment itself. I mean, most of the segments we've talked about up to this point have been picture perfect from start to finish this was far from it you know Paige has meant it herself I mean she did she was not ready to come out there at that particular point in time the promo was like completely and see if you look at when Paige gets her confidence like in a couple of years time yeah she could have cut a promo a million times better than the one she did but that's probably what makes it kind of suffer a wee bit in the long term that Paige never really had the launching pad from that one but but for what the significance it brought, as you said, David, the NXT development in it, something we would see so much over the next seven years. And the fact that Paige is a double champ as well, you know, she'd probably still be holding the NXT title today if it wasn't for one injuries and two GBL. But yeah. GBL, uh, no, it's bastards taking the titles off. How dare you? It's, it's great for that. I mean, it's, see if you, it's crazy when you look back at it, how long such an irrelevant and untalented performer such as Tamina has been up in the spotlight. I mean, come on, she's going to get a title shot at WrestleMania probably. She's going to get a title win at WrestleMania. <laughs> Tamina and Natalia leave WrestleMania and the network and Peacock cancellations. <laughs> the office. Nobody, the Ricky Gervais. Nobody Tamina. I'm telling <laughs> you, The Office would have been a better show had Tamina been on it. Alright, that's all I'm going to say. Tamina could have easily played, like, fucking bloody Pam's part, you know? Pam's a bit of a bitch, right? Why not? <laughs> I would I would pay to see an Office reboot where Tamina plays Meredith. Gary. <laughs> 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 
Oh, well, I have no idea what, what that chat was all about there, but I did enjoy the WrestleMania moment. Um, it was, as you said, it was, I, I th- it was the first big NXT call-up. It was um, one that got the, the, the fans, the internet community, if you could put it that way, excited because everybody, they all knew who Paige was. The majority of the audience did not know uh, who she was at that time, but people got excited by her. Um, yes, she did not come across great on the mic, but in the ring, it was an impressive launch pad for her because AJ had been on quite a run at that time. Um, she managed to get out of AJ's finisher, which not many people had done beforehand either. So this was a big, big rub, a big moment for, for Paige debuting. And I've, I've seen WWE do this before. I remember when Gail Kim um, was signed by the company in her first night, she won the championship. So I was a wee bit more sceptical. It was, it was like, oh, I've seen this happen before with the Women's Championship, the Divas Championship. Uh, will they actually get behind this champion and Paige went on to have a, a very very good career on the back office I thought it was a great moment the fans in the building as well loved it didn't they and um, and it was a good movie I enjoyed the movie <laughs> <laughs> very good movie very good it, was movie. A, it was a cracking movie that, that much has to be said but Ross this like we said set the stage for NXT call-ups after this um, where do you think this sits in the NXT Corps the night after Mania uh, sort of ladder? It's got to be top top three at the very least. You could make an argument that it's number one. Um, like nothing, nothing's springing to mind at the minute. But there might be very obvious ones I'm missing out. But like nothing's springing to mind. Like no, no one's ever debuted and won a title. I, I'm telling you one thing though. See the night, you know, we always talk about the, uh, well, I, I brought it up that the Raw after WrestleMania is sometimes an apology. Yeah. An apology for that knob, Jinder Mahal, winning the United States title. Should have been someone debuting and taking the title off him. But <laughs> we'll, settle, we'll settle for a match that not only get made into a movie, but it also kind of set the tone for what would become the women's division. You know, AJ and uh, Paige, when AJ returned a couple of months down the line, she then won the title right back from uh, Paige. And her and Paige kind of dropped the title to and from each other. And they had some really good entertaining matches, really, really set the standard. They ended up having a really good match with the Bella Twins at WrestleMania 31 the following year. Good match. And this sort of laid about laid the foundation her leaving NXT laid the foundation for the likes of Charlotte Becky Sasha and Bailey to have some great matches together uh, and it, it's a match where everything that happened you know when the three count hits the the consequences reverberate throughout WWE and NXT which is the women's division we've got today you know there's no there's no women's Royal Rumble without this match. I think this match plays a vital role in women's wrestling history. Totally, totally. As does Paige, AJ, and like you said, our Hall and Fame incumbents, the Bella Twins. 
What a joke. <laughs> but the fans have some streaming streak in his head. He still regrets that show. But we have we have some some great moments from the fans here. Uh, Mo, I can't, I can't even say this guy's name. Robert Meeklum says, uh, Goldberg coming out to take out The Rock always stands out for me. Um, he also mentions one that I think Stephen will bring him up in this half. And then he says, then of course there's Fandango. Uh, and he says he would stop there. Um, Ryan Doug Leash, um, the scourge of the fan uh, division on Saturday Draft Live, says Lashley's return two years ago was decent. Um, his point is about as good as how he is. It's rotten. Uh, David Hockney says <laughs> on Del Rio as well. One of the loudest pops I've ever heard the energy in the arena was ecstatic. Jack Graham agrees with me in the form of a question. He says that surely got to be Paige winning the Divas title on our first night. Surely! Uh, and then we have Scott who agrees with Gary Roman Reigns opening Raw after Mania 33 and being showered with abuse uh, from the fans. Would have been the perfect time to begin his journey to the Tribal Chief. As always, Ryan Dugleish is an asshole. Uh, we're going to come back to Mr. Ross McLeod for your second one. Yeah, so I went back to you know, I we, we talked there about how there's no women's uh, evolution or revolution or whatever WWE market it is um, without the Page AJ match. This is a, a defection that might not have got many people's eyes onto the product as WWE would have thought in the beginning, but ended up becoming a massive part of why WWE won the Monday Night War. The night after WrestleMania 14, uh, Shawn Michaels has went away with his injuries, uh, he wouldn't be back for four years. Triple H breaks out of Shawn Michaels' shadow this night and announces that Shawn Michaels is being kicked out of D-Generation X. He dropped the ball and he's going to pick up the ball and drive it from here. He says, you look to your blood, you look to your family, you look to your clique. And you look to your laurels. You look to your laurels. Because DX are back and we're coming after you. <laughs> when who should walk down? But Andy Hart, sorry, uh, the one, two, three kid. <laughs> the one, two, three kid, Sean Waltman, walks down the ramp. He's been re, re uh, christened as X Pac. He joins D Generation X. He then, Triple H then goes and finds the WWE Tag Team Champions, two floundering lower card singles wrestlers in the roadie and in Billy Gunn, and he makes them the road dog Jesse James, the badass Billy Gunn. D-Generation X is formed, and this goes on to become one of the most iconic stables ever. They found the, the proper D-Generation X uh, founding, I, I, I couldn't get my words out there, the founding of the proper Attitude Era, D-Generation X, so is my best role after Mania moment. It's so good, it's so good, and X-Pac, you know, before he had go away he he had, happy to see you here, he, you know, happy to see you here pop, <laughs> you know, going on, it was great. And uh, Gary, I need to ask you, just in the grand scheme of things, when you look at Sean Waltman's career, do you feel he's underappreciated? And would you agree this is probably an underappreciated Raw After Mania moment? Um, I think his... Uh, I, I don't think the moment is underappreciated. His part in it probably is... Um, 
in it. But yes, he is highly regarded by people in the, the business, isn't he? Because you hear Bruce Pitchard, for example, talk often in his podcast that um, that um, that Waltman would be used to test people out in matches if they could if he gave them the thumbs up or he got a good match out of them then that would be uh, a, a sign to the office that this person was worth uh, worth signing so his in-ring abilities maybe are underplayed by by the fans but this moment was fantastic we were obviously you know deep in the monday night raws and people were sorry and people were going back and forward and i remember uh, watching it and there was like the hint about who was going to come and when he's talked about you, you go to your blood you go to the click I was thinking Nash Hall Diesel Razor and then he came out and there was a wee bit like oh <laughs> <laughs> you know he was of the, of the three of them he's the, he would have been number three in my list of the of the three of them despite Dudley of the click Yes, the Stephen, Wilson, the Stephen Wilson of the family. Um, <laughs> well, uh, he, he, he came out then, but I love the love the commentary with JL on, on that night, the call. But the whole moment that, that Ross picked off it because this went on and the the inclusion of the outlaws at, at the time, I thought it was a I thought it was a great moment. It's a it's a very significant moment in the career of Triple H. Yeah, and then this night after up. Mania significant in the journey of Degeneration X as well as Ross was touched on Stephen do you agree with Ross's assessment that this is the definitive version of Degeneration X is this your favourite iteration of the group uh, you better get ready to bow to the masters ah uh, yeah uh, I don't know I know how it was it was Sean and Triple H have found the Rick Roots is the one man in DX that doesn't get enough praise. Come on. There we go. Uh, yeah. But no, this is, the, this is the peak DX, not just this year as well. The kind of brief reunion they had at the end of uh, 1999 too. Uh, it's such an underrated moment, as you say, because the secret's from so far back, 23 years now. You kind of lose it in the kind of thing, because at that point, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's not really as known for having big mania moments at this point, but. Yeah. It is very well done. Uh, Gary mentions the JR call that he makes going, Oh, look who's back. I can't wait until five years' time when he makes that call about some guy that's left AEW, went to WWE and realised he's going to be stuck in catering. <laughs> uh, but it's it's just like, it's, it's a sign of the times as it's like they were in a war with WCW, the hatred they felt on the other side of things. But yeah. it's, it's what it would become, as the guy said. It's the fact that it would manifest itself into something so so good they would naturally just turn face throughout this time because they were heels to begin with but they were so well loved and all the moments that came after it you know ones that I'm not going to talk about that's not culturally relevant in 2021 moments that are a bit more relevant though the likes of the invasion of WCW and I think the one shame about this the one shame about this era of DX is it only lasts a year and they kind of turn them just out of nothing I know they kind of done it to make Triple H a big star on his own and he would obviously would become a big star but look what happened to good X-Pac I mean he gets X-Pac heat I loved X-Pac in 1999 2000 by 2000s it's just like I can't stand the sight of this guy he stole Kane's misses who would do yeah. that 
and that's that's the thing, Ross. You can have a great return like X Pac did here. We've seen um, Satan spawn behind the leash pointed out Bobby Lashley, and it's a similar story. You can have a great great debut, a great return, but if they don't usually write, you know, you're going to cool off. You know, do you think that X Pac suffered from that a bit? Um, I th- it took a while for them to not use him properly, if you will. He was sort of a, you know, he was a look who's back and he was meant to be a heel. But then when they feuded with the nation, he was sort of defending China's honour and going up against big bad Mark Henry, who, you know, world's strongest man going up against this guy who's a cruiserweight. It, it was up there, was little and large. And then it wasn't till they they turned them heel to make Triple H a bigger star as Stephen pointed that he started doing stuff that was heelish like attacking Tory and then revealing that him and Tory had an affair and like you know turning back on Kane and stealing Kane's masks and all that that that's when DX were naturally faces eventually because they went up against the nation of domination they went up against the corporation so as soon as they started to turn heel, it didn't feel natural, which then meant <coughs> excuse me, that then meant X Pac and Billy Gunn and Road Dog and that suffered. Because as good as Triple H was as a heel, these guys were the, the understudy and it's like, Well why why do we hate you? Is it because you hang about with an asshole? Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like they, they eventually the group just became Triple H and his pals. And by the time it got to the McMahon Helmsley faction sort of thing, it was it was well and truly on its arse. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was Yeah. It was well and truly on its arse. So I do agree with what you're saying that, you know, if you're not used properly the, the return doesn't matter as much. But it did take a while, you know. He went up against The Rock at Capital Carnage nineteen ninety eight for the WWE title and cheered over The Rock. Like the Rock was playing the heel, but like it wasn't like now where they're like, no, we'll boo the, we'll boo yeah. the face and we'll cheer the heel. They they were really into X Pac winning the title here. Yeah, totally. And it's a good like it's. I agree with you. I think it's a great moment and really one of the first big Raw after Mania moments that we've talked about. So it's important to bring this one up. Um, and we're moving on with Mister Gary Kernahan. What is your second offering to bring to this lovely hot luck here? Thank you. I am. Actually, I'm going to pick a moment that uh, one of the listeners mentioned. I think it was Robert that mentioned the debut uh, that happened the night after WrestleMania 19 in Seattle, uh, March 31st, 2003. That seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? Uh, the Rock had beaten Stone Cold Steve Austin in what turned out to be Austin's last match. We had the cocky heel uh, Rock, who was, I thought he was very good at that role. He was superb. We were having uh, the Rock Appreciation Night and uh, the Rock Appreciation Night at that point. Um, Austin had been outed by Eric Bischoff. He'd been told that his career was over then. One of the great moments of this show was. Triple H had a non-title match against, of all people, the Hurricane. Yeah. And what uh, I remember most about this match is the Hurricane put his mask on a little kid 
at ringside and Ric Flair pulled the mask off the kid and threw, <laughs> threw it away. <laughs> Which I love. But anyway, back to that. That's not my moment. Um, the the moment was The Rock is in the ring um, talking about he's done it all. He's beat them all and he lists all the names and then Goldberg's music, Goldberg's music starts to play and the night before at WrestleMania a little video package had shown to announce that he was coming uh, and here he was as GR screams, he's here in Seattle, Goldberg, oh, Goldberg on Raw! And I thought one of the things I loved about this was JR's commentary. There's so many moments over the, this era that JR and his calls just enhance in a way that I've not seen uh, as, you know, other commentators have as many moments as that. Uh, Maro in NXT jumps out, but I can't think of any moments, you know, that I associate with Tom Phillips, uh, for yeah. example. Uh, has a great one, uh, the heist of the century. Yes. I'd say that yeah. for old John. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I thought he made it great, that one. Um, there was a wee bit of cat and mouse where they were in the ring, where they sort of walked around. Goldberg says, um, what's it says, hello rock or something like that. You're next, and then spears them. I mean, the whole segment was like from Goldberg's appearance. Um, you know, it was a couple of minutes, but it was it was a great big debut. And what, what I thought was important about this, it was one. It was the introduction of Goldberg. It was Goldberg got straight into a story uh, with The Rock, um, and it set up a program to follow. There, unfortunately, the book that program of what we're going to do with Goldberg only extended through to Backlash. After that, and then but, the hammer came out, and then the shovel yeah. came out. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great, and uh, it was a big. You know, there had been debuts the night after Mania at this point. Uh, you know, back to WrestleMania 12. I jokingly said earlier on about Mark Mar- Marrow appearing, but the main one that night was Mankind. Mick yeah. uh, Foley's first appearance. This for me was like one of the first big debuts after 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 Mania, and I just uh, I just enjoyed this. Um, David, I know you're going to ask some really intelligent questions, uh, but also I need to tell you as a wee trailer. You need to come back to me because I've been going through Jack Swagger's WrestleMania history whilst we've been on air. Oh, I've got that to share with everybody, so I know you want to come back to me in a minute. Um, um, Stephen, if you could mute Gary's uh, microphone for me, I'm going to go to Ross. Uh, Ross, <laughs> Ross, Gary's brought up a lot of great points about this Goldberg debut, and there's no denying the Goldberg played a huge part in his own debut on Raw. JR was a huge part of it. But The Rock sells it. As a big Rock fan, you've got to appreciate the heel work there. They talk about that little exchange. It's, Goldberg says you're next, but I love The Rock's facial expression here, where he's just like, ah, oh, like he's sort of nodding. How good is The Rock here? Oh, like, I agree with Gary. Jack Swagger's WrestleMania record is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the Christmas special for 2021. All sorted. <laughs> Yeah, uh, The Rock here, um, he's done it all, he's won it all, he's beat them all, and then Goldberg comes out looking like your dad when he's got his first moped, uh, he's, <laughs> he's Harley Davidson jacket on, 
uh, comes down to the ring, says to The Rock, you want to know who's next? You're next. The crowd go mental because they know what's coming. The Rock stupidly makes a move towards Goldberg. <laughs> Trash talking the entire time. And out The Rock's big eyes. When The Rock goes big eyed, it's either he's staring someone down or he's been hit out of nowhere and he's shocked. And it's when they hit him and he picks him up and slams. It's not even a spear. It's more like a takedown. And we talked about JR. It's it's Jerry Lawler when he's like, what does that mean? What does that mean? What is, and then as soon as Goldberg spears the rock, Jerry Lawler's trademark scream. <laughs> right, aye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it fits so well. <laughs> <laughs> it fits so well because when you see the rock opening in his mouth, like, oh God, King screams at the exact same time. So it makes it look like the rock is screaming. <laughs> but uh, The Rock is just so good in this role the, the cocky heel the build up to the match with Goldberg bringing it uh, like just he's not in the mood to play around every time he gets his hands on The Rock he beats the living hell out of him Gilbert coming back the actual match itself it, the, I'd loved not now but I'd have loved at the time if they maybe did another match, but obviously, you know, the hammer came out, as you mentioned, the, the sledgehammer shovel came out, and by the next year, Goldberg was gone, unfortunately. He was gone, gone, gone. Stephen, bit of fantasy booking to lead us off for this one. WCW had many talents that never quite made the jump over to WWE when we expected them to, or in the right way. Is there another WCW megastar? that you think could have benefited from this Goldberg-style debut on Monday Night Raw the night after WrestleMania? Buff Bagwell! When he, when he debuts a couple of, a few years later, he would have been great in that particular role as opposed to being given money in the bank randomly. No, in all seriousness, uh, Sting, 100%, I think would have been great for it. You know, yeah. uh, Flair potentially. Uh, nah, I'm just gonna stick with Sting. Sting would have been definitely yeah. the guy on that one. Uh, I, I'm thinking. Well, imagine, imagine they held off DDP for example. Mm-hmm. You know. Ah, instead of having him show up in the Undertaker's uh, back garden. Yeah. Um, loved it, but this particular segment. Uh, what I really like about it is, I mean, you think a lot of the debuts we see, they usually just kind of they'll either sneak out from the crowd, they'll come just out of the ring. Normally, you'll you'll first see them when they come out the Titan Goldberg's music hit and I look shocked and it just randomly pans to him walking through the corridor. It's just like, <laughs> oh my god, he is actually here. Yeah. He's, he's come, you get a bit of suspense to it. I think that's a bit of clever work we did on that one. And it kind yeah. of fed into the Goldberg character because that's the kind of thing he came out in the locker room. You watched him getting escorted down there. It's just, I think that we've, we're getting a bit of a recurring theme with a lot of these Romania moments. They're a great moment, but sometimes the follow up to them is not great. I mean, the Goldberg one is, I mean, the sledgehammer of doom. I think it would have been fair to say. Yeah, for Triple sure. H, you know, yeah. he should have won that battle at Elimination Chamber and SummerSlam, hundred percent, as opposed to winning it one month later. But hey, yeah. great moment, great spear. Rock's one of the best sellers in wrestling, hundred <laughs> percent. There's always so much you can do. <laughs> the dog cycle this day. And Gary, I was going to come back to you quickly to round us off here. Um, if you could do me a favour, 
and give me one fact from Jack Swagger's WrestleMania record. And also tell me this, do you think that this moment could have benefited from not Goldberg's return not being announced in advance the night before at WrestleMania? 100%. Um, if there hadn't been any hint of it, because there was a few chants during the Rock's promo of Goldberg, if there hadn't been any hints of it, we wouldn't have, wouldn't have expected I remember watching Mania 19 and being surprised and excited when I seen Goldberg's video package, so better off not having announced it 100% if um, it would have been better. Jack Swagger uh, has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight WrestleMania appearances. Okay. That's all. Yeah, WrestleMania 25, he was a lumberjack. Okay. WrestleMania 26, he won Money in the Bank. Yes. WrestleMania 27, he was in Michael Cole's Corner. Yes. 28, he was part of Team Johnny. Great Mania moments thus far. 29, 29, that, that classic with Del Rio. Of course, 30, Matt. 30, he was in the four-way tag match. 31, he was in the <laughs> 31 and, 30. <laughs> 31 and 32 he was in the battle royals okay that's yeah. that's all she wrote and i think you know no one perhaps mr wrestlemania is a very apt description for him but we'll go to mr essr for his next moment stephen wilson <laughs> take us away from jack swagger what's your what's your next moment for this year Oh, you mentioned Jack Swagger as Mr. WrestleMania. Well, I'm going to bring you to Mr. Raw as the WrestleMania because I couldn't decide which moment I wanted to pick from this man. Uh, I'm going to go all the way back to 2002 following WrestleMania 18. In the middle of the show, there's a, a bit of a throwaway match for the hardcore title. We've got Ross's favourite interviewee, Al Snow. We've got Partly my double Spike Dudley. <laughs> and we've got a man who's as much of an underdog as David and Maven fighting in a triple threat. Oh, Maven. Maven's a oh, wonderful one. Great theme music. Underrated yeah. theme music. But uh, they're having a run of the day hardcore title match, you know. It's one night after all these shenanigans that happened the night before when poor Christian throws temper tantrums. But out of the crowd comes this man who's, let's be fair, Built like a machine <laughs> out of nowhere, and he beats the living crap out of all three men. That's the debut of Brock Lesnar in WWE. Yeah. Oh, Here comes the pain. It's so good for so many moments. It's very well done in the way that it's just he just beats them, you know. It just he, he looks so dominant. Paul Heyman's there, of course, <laughs> which makes it even more better, you know. How to make a man legitimate, bring in Paul Heyman. You know, we yeah. hadn't seen him since November, and this was a great way to get to demonstrate his repertoire. And Ooh, some of the repertoire, what of the day on the show there? <laughs> Take that box. <laughs> uh, and you know, there's so many memorable the the double power bomb on Spike through the trash can is one of the most br- Spike Dudley takes some of the most brutal spots in all of wrestling he nice. gets beaten to shit and I can never remember him winning matches but he just gets beaten <laughs> up uh, but it's of course uh, what was to follow after it you know the dominant year that Brock had between then and 2003 
beating The Rock at SummerSlam to win the title barely six months into the company, nearly killing himself against Kurt Angle to try and win the title back at WrestleMania 19. And of course, when he eventually returns after his spell in the UFC, just what a dominant... I mean, nine years it's been since Brock came back this year. Mental. We've not seen him in a year. And I don't think I'm the only one. I even think Alan McLucas misses Brock Lesnar. Don't speak for Alan on that one. Do not speak for Alan. When Alan returns to this podcast, we will hear Alan's opinion on that, I'm sure. But Ross... Is going to return on the Raw after Mania? <laughs> what a return that would be. What a return that would be. Uh, but Ross... Maybe we should have been here for this then. <laughs> Bet you Alan's hoping that Brock returns in a tag match. <laughs> <laughs> We know he loves tag team wrestling. Brock Lesnar and The Fiend, the next great tag team, uh, managed by Alan McLucas. But Ross, I need to come to you on the subject of Brock Lesnar's WWE debut. Stephen's right. When you debut someone next to Paul Heyman, particularly a Paul Heyman with long hair and an ECW cap still firmly plastered to to his forehead, you know something good's about to come. Oh, Christ, that hat. I mean, the only person with a pla- hat plastered to his head more is David Hockney when he does these shows. <laughs> David, why are you wearing a hat in your spare bedroom? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. Anyway, um... <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, is I composed myself there? Yeah, um, Paul Heyman, we hadn't seen him and over a year, in fact, sorry, just under um, six months, when the, the alliance uh, ended, JR yelled at him, you know, you're out of business again, you're out of a job again. He was fired the next night, JR Lawler's brought back, Paul Heyman's gone for the company, and then when he comes back, it's like, he's instantly the name recognition, because, like, people are like, like, JR's on commentary, great calls, like, Oh, look who's with him. Look at that. These balls found someone else to do his bidding for him. You know, and then instantly, you know, the promos are going to be great. Yeah. The the guy is obviously something. And it's a bit ironic that he was very almost put with Jesse, the body Ventura. He was, um, I it was in a video I seen on YouTube, uh, WWE put it up. It was like, unlikely partnership. You didn't know it was happening. Uh, when he was doing dark matches, Brock Lesnar was managed by Jesse the Body Ventura. The, the thoughts was because Jesse was the Minnesota governor and Brock is from Minnesota. It, essentially, it's like they were for the same scheme. That that was it. It was like when you tell your auntie what supermarket you work in, it's, do you know such and such? No, because I do night shift and they do mid shift. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the Brock Paul Heyman storyline, as you said, so much better because instantly recognisable to the current product is Paul Heyman. He's only been out of the company six months. He has the ECW cred. He has the fact that he's he, he's already a hated heel because he was part of that alliance storyline. Yeah. And he instantly gives whoever he's with a bit of credit. I mean, we are still talking to this day about how good Heidenreich is, and that's because of Paul Heyman. So totally. Brock was a natural fit. 
totally. Uh, Kurt, the legacy of Curtis Axel speaks for itself, but Gary, you've brought up some great debuts on this show, Mark Merrill among them, but this one has to stand atop the mountaintop purely because, as Stephen outlined, the destructive path that Brock Lesnar leaves in his wake on this particular night. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a different level to the debut of Mark Marrow, definitely. Uh, <laughs> definitely up, up a notch there. It was, I mean, he just looked, you know, he's obviously, the nickname The Beast is very fitting. He was quite the specimen, or is quite the specimen. He was enormous, he looked so powerful and very shrewd looking in the type of people that he came up against that made him you know look so dominant it was it was great and the inclusion of Heyman was brilliant and Heyman tells the story that he wasn't supposed to be with them with him initially he was initially going to appear with Chris Benoit which would have been an interesting pairing uh, and then that was dropped and uh, he was put with he was uh, given the opportunity to go with with Brock and they were went made together I, I didn't know this the Jesse Ventura story so you know every day is a school day I think um, <laughs> I, I love uh, I love Jesse the body and commentary has returned to WWF WWE would not have lasted long. He would have fallen out with <laughs> another many, union attempt. <laughs> uh, he'd have fallen out with many people, and he'd have been he'd have been out quickly. But I'd have quite liked to seen that as well. But a uh, brilliant moment, and what a, what a catapult! What a mo- a mo- uh, yeah, what a catapult that was for for Brock Lesnar the way he came in. I I, I do like this way of introducing monster heels we've seen a wee bit of it recently with remember Lars Sutherland when he was in that live yeah he's gone from this world now he's he's oh. away up, is he not up in the big vista around the sky <laughs> so I like that way when they introduced them uh, where uh, they come in <laughs> Unannounced, unexpected, and just ragdoll somebody. I could just picture him and just. <laughs> <in the sky>. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine just heaven just like, yep, you walk in, it's just like the world's largest love machine. <laughs> just oh. everybody's wearing these silky robes, you know? Right, right. Before, <laughs> before Gary runs down, I'll be able to do his WrestleMania record. I'm going to get his in our last moment of the night. Uh, and it's the one that Stephen was going to pick uh, is the other moment. I'm going to take you back to. It's not WrestleMania 31. It's not WrestleMania 31. It's the year 2012. Right, it's the year 2012, and Brock uh, and John Cena has just lost to, to Dwayne The Rock Johnson the night before. WrestleMania and he comes out and everyone's like Cena sucks, you know, he's wearing his big green t-shirt like a big daft idiot um, and he's standing there in the ring and he's like, you know, The Rock did well and he's wanting to call out The Rock, he's like, Rock come out here so I can congratulate you myself and all that, you know what I mean like an absolute chump, you know, this was the worst John Cena, oh I've taken a loss but it's fine, I'm going to get right back in the saddle shop, John stand the man at this point he's one of the all time greats I love John Cena's work uh, at at this point WWE's booking of John Cena was terrible and it goes to show that we all just wanted to see someone beat up John Cena and it wouldn't be AJ Styles and the gang that'd be years later all you hear is the music hit it's Brock the beast incarnate version of Brock Lesnar 
this is a new debut. This is a rebirth of Brock Lesnar in the WWE. You talk about Brock coming in as an unknown Stephen and how effective that was. This is Brock Lesnar, the mainstream star, the two-time UFC heavyweight champion of the world coming back to WWE. And I'm going to say it, you've talked about changing the eras. I hated WWE at that time. I was so close to leaving, like, being a wrestling fan. Because that couple of years before that in WWE, I was just like, I am not interested anymore. I can't stand this. I'm giving it up. Brock Lesnar changed that for me. Brock Lesnar coming in brought some spice to this product. People were talking about WWE again. People were talking about Brock Lesnar's back in WWE. You seen that guy in the crowd? He's like, yeah, yes, Brock Lesnar comes to that's the, the worst, That's the worst part of this return. The fact that we've been suffering with that guy. The best part of the pandemic is not been there. I mean, the top guys at the shots in 2012. I don't care. I don't give a damn. I like that man. Right, so I'm guessing the reckon John Cena like a chump again tries to shake Brock's hand. And Brock's just like, nah, son, get to heck, take Cena up for an F5. Holds him there like a chump again. Well, Cena doesn't struggle whatsoever. F5 Cena, and you just know that now we are in a different time of the WWE. That Brock Lesnar completely changes the game, completely changes the landscape. And for me, this is the greatest moment in the history of Raw after Mania. I'll come to Ross. Ross, what do you think about this one? Rather disappointed. I wanted The Rock. (laughs) (laughs) I think we we, like we knew something was going on. I saw uh, it was a tweet. I I can't remember who it was from, but it was like the night before WrestleMania. Someone had I hadn't heard anything about Brock Lesnar like signing with the WWE. I think the 2K deal is always like the the 2K deal was easing back into things because yeah. he had, he was announced as a DLC character for WWE 2K12. He was he was heavily featured in the marketing. He did say like when they said people want to see you back in the ring. When are you going to be in the ring wrestling people like? And they listed off like Punk, Cena, Randy Orton, etc. He goes, you'll have to play the game. I've no interest. And every other time you'd be like, ah, no, 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 I know you, I know. We brought Lesnar, it's like, ah, he doesn't fuck about, he's... <laughs> until, they drive like a dump, until they drive a dump truck of money and 10 dead deer carcasses on his lawn, he is not interested. <laughs> and he, would you call it, he, um, when he showed up, it was such a shock because it was like, no, well, Surely not. There's no and when he appears, just the it's the pop when the music starts. Yeah. Then you hear the dun, dun 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 and the crowd die down, and then he appears after making you wait that bit too long. Yeah. He appears and the crowd goes up again yeah. because they've been cheering for him the entire night. Like it was, we want Lesnar the entire night, and Cena did make reference to it, and that's what made that kind of threw me because. They never ever make reference to chance that's about to happen. It's like, we want Brock, we want Brock. He goes, interesting, I want to speak to Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And like The Rock who had appeared earlier in the night and got cheered in his hometown was getting booed because they were like, no, we've had The Rock, we want Brock. (laughs) 
<laughs> and when he, when he appears as well, it's just like that. This is, as you said, it was a change of eras. Like you can always sense when there's a change and stuff. And this is allowed WWE to bring people in on a more part-time basis. Mm. You know the Brock contract, and it's it's led to some of the best matches I think since 2012. You know, I've I've said before I think. Brock Lesnar, you know, we said that Mr. The Night After WrestleMania, I think he's Mr. SummerSlam. Just go back and look at his SummerSlam matches. But yeah, just an absolute game changer at that moment. Nice. And then Gary, we've talked about the game changing nature of, of Lesnar's return. Um, this would continue. Like, it, it was weird the way they booked him initially after this. What did you think about the decision to have Brock lose it, Extreme Rules? I don't understand it other than it was him you know, eating some humble pie and and showing the boys that he was there to work. I can't I, I can't compute the decision making behind it. Why would you say in this guy back and have him lose um, in that way? Um, I, I just I don't get it. I still don't get it um, either. Um, I know he would go on and be dominant against John Cena and other things. So maybe my best guess would be that they didn't want him to be like that immediately. But when he 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 beat Cena up quite a bit in that match, I remember right. But then I just didn't make any sense to me why why he lost that match. But Brock, when it comes to Raw's After Mania, has a pretty good run of them. There's at least three that come to mind for me. The one that Stephen spoke about earlier on his debut, um, this one, but also the um, the Seth Rollins, um, the night after the heist, yeah. where he comes out at the start of the show, doesn't he, with his gear on, looking for a match, looking for his rematch, and we think he's going to get it later, and then... Seth um, gets out of Dodge and he goes mental, trashes the place, tips the announce table up, crushing Booker T and JBL. Uh, Michael Cole tries to flee and gets caught and by the end of that segment, Brock is the biggest baby face ever after yeah. the F5s Michael Cole punts Michael Cole's shoe into the audience and then Stephanie is just fucking obnoxious as ever yeah. as well. He was um, the biggest baby face in the world then, um, but he got, he's got a really good post-WrestleMania track record, I think, when it right, comes to these moments. There he goes, I was saying, Stephen, to end this show today, I'd like you to do something for me. Try and rank those three big Brock after Mania moments in order. His debut, his return, and his destruction of the Raw commentary team. I'd have to unfortunately give the destruction of the Raw commentary team last because we had the unfortunate displeasure of having them call, have Byron Saxton call it half the show himself. He's just out of NXT and they just go, Byron, go down. It's so bad that they have to send King down and King Bill his boy out. But I love it. I think it's hilarious. I the hilarious moment. Brock has some hilarious moments in his feud with Seth, including nearly taking out half a, a portion of the crowd with a car door. Uh, <laughs> um, I'd have to put this one second purely because the other one's my, my moment and it's destructive. But as it it's a great moment because we've seen this, you know, it had been teased for a good while. I think it'd been about a year after his 
UFC moment with The Undertaker. Um, yeah. One of the UFC after shows where pretty much Undertaker calls him out on the fly. You know, everybody thought he's going to come back and face Taker. Yeah, they got obviously the thing with Cena first because it was a match that never really... They had, they had a couple of matches back then, but Cena developed so much since then it was naturally going to happen. And then, unfortunately, by the time he took Taker, the kind of heat was off him a wee bit. So, yeah. but... No, it's just it's it's again you could never have imagined in nine years just how much Brock was gonna do in that period of time and it's just yeah. it's a shame I think as good as he's been in spells in that nine year period, I think after losing to Cena it took him up until WrestleMania thirty to really get his groove going again. But he's 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 got his groove going in some way. Unless he's um, having two minute squash matches with Ricochet. Poor Ricochet. I love Brock, I'd happily see him back. I, I have a story about how on that night where the Raw commentary scene got destroyed, Jerry Lawler blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> because they, they put Byron Saxton on commentary himself, and this is when they'd started uh, taking Byron, uh, putting Byron on more stuff and taking Jerry Lawler off, and I put on Twitter, my God, like, you can say Jerry Lawler's lost a step, but this Byron Saxton is terrible. And Jerry Lawler blocked me. Well, I think <laughs> it's safe to say that was very much deserved. At least Sean Stacey like, just uh, unfollowed you, didn't he block you? You naughty no, boy. Sean Stasiak read my message and then unfollowed me. Listen, <laughs> before we get into Stasiak or another Randomers WrestleMania record, I'm ending we the show. We want meat. The night after WrestleMania. Don't we all? The night after WrestleMania is always a great time, and I can't wait for it this year. It's going to be a fantastic one, I'm sure. I want to find the panel. Stephen, good to see you again, bud. <laughs> Thanks, David. You, you enjoy your meat. <laughs> Ross, how are you? Uh, I think I'm going to go vegan. Um... Yeah. <laughs> and, and Gary, please tell me Alberto Gadeo's last WrestleMania opponent. Oh, he was, he's not just one, he actually had a pretty good moment. It was WrestleMania 32, the League of Nations versus the New Day. Ah, with the Legends. Stone Cold, Mick Foley and uh, Shawn Michaels, which was actually uh, one of the reasons that Lucy got into wrestling, my daughter Lucy got into wrestling. She watched that show and loved the Total Divas versus um, Team Bad Again, the best match in that card. And pre-show, and then this one who she kept calling the legendaries. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're going to end the show. Don't forget, check out all our feature programming um, coming out. We've got another show next week that you should definitely check out. It's all going to be a wonderful show with a wonderful topic. Stephen, help me out here. China. It's on China. It's on China. It's on China. Not not the country. The wrestler. China. We're, gonna, we're not talking about how coronavirus started. We're going to talk about uh, China. I just, I managed, to scrape, I managed to scrape myself through this show, people. Give me a break. Don't forget to check out Feature Show on Thursdays. Check out Zara Giraffe Live, East Meets West, everything in the news. Is it show on Thursday, David? Is that again? Oh my God. Right, okay. I'm going to get to my bed. Until then, see you next Tuesday.
Hello, I am the GOAT, David Campbell, and I would like to invite you, the listener, to my new show over at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets YouTube channel, and that show is The Conspiracy Theory, where once a month, I will be taking a look at all the rumours and speculation in the world of professional wrestling and giving the most important opinion on the matter. My opinion. Yes, that's right. Head over to Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Like, share and subscribe where you'll get a lot of other great content over there such as the new hit show, Quiz Showdown. But don't forget, check out my new show, The Conspiracy Theory, on Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Farewell, friends.